0: Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast
1: Leadership Network, Michael Levitt.
0: Welcome back. I've got Alan Hunkins on line. Hello, Alan. How are you? Oh, Michael, I am great. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Yeah, this is going to be a great one. I think the audience is going to love this. Uh, So share a little bit about you and uh, this awesome work
1: you do, and then we're going to dive into uh, cracking the leadership code. Yeah. So I certainly didn't start off at the age of five or six going, I want to be a leadership author, coach, and consultant. That's not how it all worked out. That being said, if I did look in hindsight through the rearview mirror, what I would say is, some definite common thread throughout is I've always been really highly attuned to people and really interested in what makes people tick. So I think that started really, I have a fairly unique childhood. I grew up in New York City. It's not unique. I was raised by a single mom and my grandmother, not unique. The more unique part is that both my mother and my grandmother are Holocaust survivors and that experience that shaped them and influenced how they saw the world post Holocaust. My mother was seven years old until she was 11. She was in hiding, separated from her mom. So they lived through a lot of trauma. And so that clearly impacted them. And so for me, growing up in New York City, going to public schools, I had this one experience of I'd be at home, but then I'd go over to my friend's houses or go to school. And the vibe was so different. And I think anyone, you think about if you've worked in different organizations, you know that depending on who the leader of that organization is, the vibe is so different. And so I got really interested in why are things so different from each other? So I started studying psychology. I ended up studying theater and I have an MFA from an acting conservatory. And then I got into group process facilitation work and then leadership and management training in organizations. This is back in 1997. So we're coming up on 25 years of just studying all this stuff. What I found was just the more work I did, the more people that I worked with, the more teams I worked with, I saw these patterns kept showing up time and time again, Michael. The fact was the best leaders all did certain things in common and the lousy leaders all did certain things in common. And I was trying to figure out what that was. And so I started taking notes because you know, as an actor and interested in theater, I know that what moves people are stories. And so I was capturing these stories, writing them down, and I started blogging these stories. And over a course of four years, I had over 200 blog posts and I looked for these common themes that kept showing up. And I saw there was these three overarching themes that showed up over and over again, which was around connection, around communication, and around collaboration. And so those three themes have become the subtitle of my book, Cracking Leadership Code. The subtitle is Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. And what interests me around this isn't so much because you can hear, I'm sure all the listeners, you're hearing great connection, communication, collaboration. They all start with C, they rhyme, get it, got it, good. And if it was that easy, we'd have more better leaders. And what the research I found is that only about 23% of people believe their leaders are effective at all. So we have this massive gap. So it isn't just about knowing it. It's So for me, my work has been very focused on what are the things that get in the way of us leading well? Because that, to me, that's the secret sauce. The
0: 23% doesn't shock me because Ceridian, uh, the payroll company that does work in the U.S., but you know, they're predominantly in Canada, but they, they do have a U.S. presence, did a study. And this was in December of 2018, and they surveyed Canadians. And 73% of Canadians said if they were offered a job today, they would take it. So almost 8 out of 10 people would up and leave their job right now. If they were offered a new role and majority of those people will leave their job, not because of the job per se, it's their managers and the leaders, you know, people quit their leaders and their managers, they don't quit their job. So that doesn't shock me that that percentage is there because a lot of leaders, and and this has been my experience, is the leadership training that I have had in my life was self-driven. I sought it out. Most organizations, unfortunately, don't invest in the leadership training to the degree that they should because it'll make a huge impact if they did that. But you know, majority of organizations don't. And you know, they, they assume that the leader knows how to lead. And that is a very big assumption in some organizations. And you made a comment earlier, too. And I had the conversation actually earlier today with my better half about this, about an organization that we're both familiar with where they have gone through several leaders and there was a period of time where they had a really strong leader and the culture of that organization was good. The turnover was low and they were able to accomplish a lot of things. Well, that leader left a few years ago and they've been through three leaders since in a period of less than two years. And the environment is toxic Lots of challenges, uh, and, and it's all that really changed, which was a big change, was a leader left and several leaders came in afterwards.
1: Yeah, it is a huge, huge change. We have to realize that You know, when I start started getting into this work, I felt like I could tell my leaders made a difference. And what I found is over the course of all these years, it isn't so much that leaders make a difference is they are the difference. And if you are in a leadership role, that should get you both excited and scared, right? Excited like, wow, what an opportunity and scared in, wow. I better not blow it right because all of this is riding on your shoulders. And so my question is what are you doing to make sure not that you think you're a great leader because I'm sure you do. That's not the question. The question is do the people who choose to follow you and I do believe followership is a choice, the people who choose to follow you, do they believe you're a good leader and how do you know for sure? And that's what my work really gets into. It's the nuts and bolts, the nitty-gritty of how do you Grow your skills at being a better connector, at being a better communicator, at being a better collaborator. And so, I' looking forward to us talking, shop and pulling that apart a bit. Yeah, I definitely want to dive into your book, "Cracking the Leadership
0: Code." And we talked a little bit in the pre-show about you know the book came out in 2020. It was 2020 or 2019 for you? 2020, March 24th. Exactly, as the world shut. Yeah, down. as the world went and. boy, what a timely book, because as leaders have navigated through the pandemic thus far and what they're going to be doing as we exit this pandemic at some point, and the world is different, work is different, where people are working could be different in your organization. So it's going to be really interesting to hear your thoughts. A little bit about the applicable lessons in your book that leaders can use obviously now, but also in the future to be able to navigate whatever
1: work looks like. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you, remind me of a quote. I can't remember. It was some Greek stoic once long, long time ago said, you know, anyone can hold the helm when the seas are calm. Right. So if you think about it, All leaders have been tested because the seas have been incredibly stormy over this last last year. And what's interesting to me is that if you think about so many of the mainstays of what you could rely on as a leader are gone. And so you have to figure out how do I lead in this new world? I'll give you an example. So I was talking to a, a coaching client who said, you know, it's weird. I had this long-term employee who has just left the company after 15 years, and we wanted to have a a goodbye party, you know, a goodbye celebration. And I said, in the old days, it was really simple. We just take everyone out to lunch. And I would say a couple words, and the act of being physically together and breaking bread together would create that ritual and that closure. How do you do that when everyone's remote working from home? So suddenly, it's that level of intentionality and understanding we now, as leaders, have to create these positive experiences at a distance, asynchronously, all these different things that we have to learn how to do. So, being intentional, and the, the stakes have been risen. You know, The stakes are higher, and we have to get really good and better at being intentional about the impact that we're having on the people around us. Now, the good news is the principles haven't changed, which is why the book, which was written pre-pandemic, These principles of everyone wants to be seen, everyone wants to be recognized, everyone wants to be valued. We all want to be connected because I don't care if you're in the dental business, I don't care if you are in the pharmaceutical business, manufacturing high tech, you're in the people business. And so it starts with understanding that leadership is a relationship between two human beings. And what can you do to make sure it is the best possible relationship out there? One of the
0: things that jumped out of me in the book uh, is your focus on empathy, and that is something that I've had in my life. Uh, I, th- I think my parents and my grandparents and my great grandparents and the generations and in the work that they did with people. And the different types of things that they did to serve people, and the, a lot of them worked in a variety of different roles. And but it's something that you know, carried through, and it was something that has helped me throughout my career in being able to not necessarily understand what somebody's going through, but to have empathy of whatever challenges or struggles that they are facing, whether it's in their personal life or in their professional life. That. Yeah, you know, I can. Um, I understand. Okay, what can we do together to figure this out? What you know, I'm I'm an open book. It's like I'm willing to try anything. Uh, it's open seas as far as my opportunities are concerned. It's like okay, it's you know, it's a clean slate. We can do whatever we want. But empathy is such a strong component of you know the relationship between leadership and the employees. Uh, just a few minutes ago, as I was. Preparing, I had CNBC on and uh, Starbucks CEO was on there, and he referred to the employees of Starbucks as partners. And you know, we've heard different terminology for employees and all that, but for some reason that one caught me because uh, I'd never heard it, which is kind of surprising because I've, you know, my my 19 year old daughter definitely knows all about Starbucks. She she's a frequent flyer there. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's like, oh partner. That's an interesting way to describe it, and. When organizations have their employees in leadership working in a partnership to collaborate together, uh, those are the organizations, in my opinion anyway, and love to hear your thoughts on this too, is those are the organizations that are navigating through these challenging times a bit easier than everybody else. Not saying that it isn't difficult, but because they're working together in unison on things, they're probably not going through as many challenges as somebody that has been very siloed. Here's this the hierarchy of uh, leaders and managers and employees, and never the two
1: paths shall cross type of thing. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Sure, you know, you bring up a couple of really good points here. Uh, one, Michael, about the sense of that your sense of empathy, and you're like, hey, I'm an open book. You know, I'm a clean, I'm open. I want to hear what you have to say. You being willing to admit that to an employee, someone you're leading, already puts you ahead of so many leaders, right? Because, you know, as we hear this, you know, we're all listening to this podcast going, yeah, I get it. Empathy is showing people that you understand them and care how they feel. And most of us do this with some people in our lives. We probably do it with our loved ones, our family, our close friends. It's really easy to do it. However, what we see in, in this the research in the organizations is fascinating is that you know 92% of CEOs say that their organizations are empathetic, but the employees in those very same organizations only say about 50% of those CEOs are empathetic. So actually, it turns out leading with empathy in an organizational or a workplace context is harder. And here's why. Like you can have empathy for someone when you have no skin in the game of the outcomes, like oh you know, unconditional love, however, what do you do when we have deadlines when someone screws up, makes a mistake, or you know or whatever you want to call it that and what do you the other big piece to this around empathy, showing people you understand them and care how they feel is showing people that you understand them and care how they feel isn't something you can just check off your to-do list quickly you know so many of us are going going fast fast got to get got to get this done go get it got it done and it takes time you know showing people empathy means showing patience and you know as well as i do michael so many organizations have codified as a core competency either bias for action drive for results you know we don't codify have patience and listen to people even though it is super important so that's one piece I wanted to bring up. The other thing, you talked about Starbucks and this idea of thinking of their employees as partners. The fact is words matter because words are signifiers of meaning. And how can you use words in a way that makes you connected to people? Now, look, you could call them partners and treat them like crap, and then it just becomes a flavor of the month. However, if your whole philosophy is around respect, if it's around empathy, if it's around collaboration, then choosing a word like partner makes a lot of sense because that's the direction. You want to send a very clear signal to people that you matter to me. And As we look at the way the world has transformed and continues to transform, leaders need to let go of what I'll call the industrial age mindset, which, unfortunately, so many of us are still holding on to. And the industrial age mindset came out of the factory system where workers were on the assembly line. And Henry Ford, who is the founder of Ford Motor Company, has a great quote that I think exemplifies this best. This is what he said about his employees on the assembly line. He said, why is it every time I want a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached right? He wasn't interested in people thinking for a living. His job is to shut up and do what I tell you. And when you're on an assembly line doing repetitive manual labor, that's expected. That is not the world we live in anymore. We live in this knowledge work age where everyone needs to be creative problem solvers, come up with ideas, execute on those ideas, satisfy customer needs more quickly than ever before. So this whole idea of shut up and do as I say It doesn't make any sense. It makes, so leaders need to create an environment where they are no longer the commander-in-chief, but instead we are the facilitators-in-chief. So your whole example, Michael, of I'm an open book, tell me how can we work together? That is about trying to facilitate and co-create a solution together as opposed to the old school model of, I have all the answers, I'm in charge, I'll tell you what to do, you just go ahead and do what I tell you to do. That doesn't work. And so that means a huge shift in mindset. From this commander mindset to a facilitative mindset, because that's what it's going to take to help people to achieve performance goals easier. Yeah, I love that. And
0: I, you know, I use the you know, Henry Ford example in the industrial age and, and how, the you know, for example, the eight-hour work shift doesn't make sense. And this working remotely situation that so many of us have found ourselves in over the last year brings that to light. Because many of us, and you know, thankfully my kids are, are an adult age now, but I know a lot of people became full-time school teachers during this pandemic because they were teaching their kids at home on top of doing their jobs, which means that their workday was in segments. They may not have been able to do a consecutive eight hours. It may have been a couple hours here, a couple hours there, a couple hours there, and it created an opportunity for people to do what you know Cal Newport talks about is deep work and that deep focus of, okay, what is the task I need to work on? All right, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to put everything else to the side. I'm going to turn my phone over or turn it on silent, close out of email, and just work on whatever I need to work on. When they do that, they get it done. And I, I, the strong leaders, in my opinion, and you know, I was, this is my opinion, are the ones that Obviously, show empathy and make sure that their employees have everything that they need to do their job well. Because we, we should want our partners, employees, whatever you describes your the people that work in your organization, you want them to be successful. Because if they're successful, then the products and services that you generate for your clients or customers will be better, which means they'll want it. They'll buy more of it. More people will buy it, and your organization will grow. So as a leader, I always say, okay, here's what we need to work on. Here's all the tools. If you need anything, this is how to find me. And then get out of their way and let them go do it. And one of the things we've seen with a lot of micromanagers, especially during the pandemic, is requiring employees to be on their Zoom camera all day, I'm always connected. You know, One of the big things that I saw this, and I didn't read the article, but it was something on LinkedIn about employee tracking software You know, sales are increasing. And, and I saw that and I went, no, 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 no. That's the wrong direction, people. And yeah. I, I've had conversations with the managers like, well, I don't trust my employees to do that. I'm afraid they're gonna be watching Netflix all day. And I say, okay, so you don't trust your employees? then why are they working there? Fire them. Get rid of them right now. And they go, oh, I can't do that. Why? Well, they're a good employee. You just said you don't trust them. No, I don't trust them that they're not going to watch Netflix. I don't care what they do. You know, I'm one of my favorite bosses that I had. And he gave me this. It was my first day working for this organization. And it was at three 30 in the afternoon of my first day. He came up to my cubicle and he leans over and he says, okay, I'm going to set some ground rules. I'm like, Oh, here we go. And he said, I don't care when you get here. I don't care when you leave. If you get your job done, everything will be great. I'm in that corner office over there. If you need anything, page me on the pager. If you need something, that's how long ago it was, pagers. I yeah, uh, had a BlackBerry rim pager, you know, messaging and all that stuff. I used it to get sports scores on it. I, don't really, I didn't use it for too much other stuff. But, yeah. um, but that left an impact on me two decades later. Yeah. And I I totally stole that. So when I hire people, i say, here's here's the deals. Here's how to reach me. Don't send me emails at night or on weekends because I'm not going to respond. And I'm also not going to be sending you emails at nights or weekends because that's your time. And just creating that environment of we brought you in to shine and do your great work, the work that you love doing. We want to make sure that you get an opportunity to do that. If you need anything from us, questions, this is where we are. Good luck. We're here, but we're not going to be standing over your shoulder going, okay, how's it going? I mean, I'll check in and say, how are things? You know, But I'm not like, okay, unless I need a specific update on something. But doing that and creating that trust environment creates that healthier environment, and it just has made big, big differences in the organizations that I've seen that does
1: that as far as how successful they are, retention, everything under the sun. Oh, completely. completely. I mean, what were you talking about to me, Michael? I love, I love the story too, by the way, of your, that boss from 20 years ago. Because I think about, I mean, what we're talking about is getting away from this idea of work as activity Versus work as results, and what the pandemic, working from home, is forcing organizations and leaders to do is raise your game. The fact is, you don't really know what people were doing, which is why you're afraid that they're not doing it. You just want them to be busy. You know, I it's funny to talk about stories. I had a CEO of a company I worked for years ago, and I was a remote employee, so I would go up to the home office once or twice a year, and I could bet. I, if I was a betting man, I could bet exactly what he would say every time I'd come over and see him because right, I was actually out with the customers. I was doing leadership management training. And so I was actually with the front lines of the customers and I would see him rarely once or twice a year. And the question I'd always get is, are we keeping you busy? Allah? Like, like, what kind of question is that? If you think like, yes, first of all, it's closed ended. It's either yes or no. And then what kind of information am I sharing? I have so much wealth of information, but he wasn't interested in it. So it's interesting to me, as you talk about this idea of moving from activity-based work to result work, and for those listeners, if you Google Rowe, R-O-W-E, results-only work environment, there are some great examples of companies that have been doing this for years. And most people know Gore-Tex, so the W.L. Gore company kind of pioneered this idea. And if we think about where we're headed in the future of work, is that as leaders, what we ought to be doing is treating our employees you want to call them partners. You can make pick your word, but basically treating them like independent consultants. Like that is, if you think of it, if you were to hire a consultant, you would scope out a project, you'd have clear deliverables, you'd have timelines, and then you would trust the consultant because they're the expert at what they're doing. So, in some ways, how can you take that same philosophy and scope out? projects because you're all working on some kind of a project for your employees, here's what needs to be done. Now, obviously, there are certain jobs that are that's not the same. Let's say you're manning a call center and you need to give inbound calls. That may not work. But for a lot of things, just giving people that clear parameters of here's the project, here's the scope, here's the, and, and co-creating this conversation with them. So therefore, then you can do what you did, which is great. I don't care when you come in and when you leave. Just get your work done because they know what the work is as opposed to whatever you're doing doesn't seem to be enough. So this, again, is about the facilitative mindset in action. I love that. And
0: so many things in this book of yours that are just amazing. It's like people roadmap, follow this. Your organization will be better. But what's what's one part of the book that... You wish more organizations and leaders would follow because there's so much in there. But what's one thing that you wish that people would do a little bit more that you know would have such a humongous impact on on how organizations and society uh, would
1: exist and run as far as companies are concerned? Sure. There's a bunch, but there's one that I want to narrow in because it seems that it comes up just almost on a daily basis. And this is in the section around communication. If you realize that communicating well is so much harder than it looks. And the reason is that most people are focused on communication when that actually isn't the goal. The goal is not communication. The goal is understanding. And we have a big gap between what people say and what we hear and what they mean. So. All three of those things need to be in alignment for there to be accurate understanding. And the reason that understanding is so important is it becomes the platform on which we take all future action. So, if we have common, aligned, shared understanding, we can make some really good decisions to create great results. But if the platform is wobbly and tippy, we're going to make some poor decisions. We're going to end up with poor results. So, the thing, so everyone kind of hears that and they go, Yeah, Alain, thanks, get it, got it, good the challenge that most of us forgets in the moment because it's a cognitive bias. Um, Psychologists call it the projection bias, which is basically, we tend to go, oh, this is clear in my head. It must be clear to everyone else, right? And I'll give you an example. If you've ever found yourself saying something like, well, I sent the email, they should know what to do. It's like, you sent it, you know what you meant, but you don't necessarily know how they are receiving that information, just like the fact is like, why don't they get back to me? How do you know the fact that your email is now sitting in an inbox with another 142 emails that got sent in the last seven hours? So it's this expectation that people, look, the fact is people are not you. And so here's my hack or the tool to use to get around that. People are very good at a lot of things, but one thing I can guarantee you no one is very good at is reading minds. So one of the things that I always suggest for leaders to do is to make any implicit assumptions or implicit expectations, explicit. Be super clear, be over clear and check twice, check three times to make sure you're getting a check of understanding. And I'll just share a quick story that really brings this to life. And this actually comes from the fast food industry. So back in the 1980s is when all the fast food restaurants started putting in their drive-thrus. And when it just started, the drive through process overall was a nightmare. It was really common. People would drive up to the intercom, they'd order their food, and they'd go up to the window to pick it up and the orders would be filled with mistakes. And this was happened. Continuously for a couple of years, then all of a sudden, across the industry, the drive-through mistake rates started to plummet. You might be wondering, what did they do? What did they change? With such an easy fix, what the employees started to do is, when someone would come up to the intercom and say, "I'd like to order three cheeseburgers, three fries, and three Coca Colas," the employees started to repeat the order back, make sure I got that: three cheeseburgers, three fries, three Coca Colas. Is that right? Yes. Boom. Right. A confirmed understanding and then suddenly success. So think about how often we have meetings where we've discussed a bunch of stuff and maybe even people have said, this is what I'm going to do at some point in the meeting. But before we end, are we taking that extra moment to go? Let's just go around the circle—the the virtual circle, the actual circle. Let's go around the circle. What is everyone walking out of here doing next? What are our next steps? That's explicit because if you don't do that, what you wind up with—and I'm sure most of us listening have had this experience—I call them the meetings after the meeting. Right? You go out in the hallway. So, Michael, uh, what are we? Who's doing what? What? I think it's this. I'm not exactly. Well, if I raise my hand, that's going to look kind of stupid now, right? So we get into this whole mental chatter. So the way to avoid that, leaders, is to make your implicit assumptions, explicit. And if you hold that mantra in your heads, you'll be amazed at how often that will come up and help you on a day-to-day basis. Clarity is a beautiful thing. And uh, yeah, the meetings after the
0: meetings, and a funny story like sharing is many, many years ago, my brother worked for an automotive organization. I'm not going to mention their name. But they were notorious for meetings. They had all kinds of different meetings and they ended up having a meeting to determine why they had so many meetings. I I wish that was a joke, but I don't think they got any clearer in their meetings, but at least at least they had a meeting to discuss um, why they had so many meetings. But um, but it's you know, the 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 fruit of successful meetings is, I love that, you know, make that implicit, explicit. And when you do that, uh, clarity arrives and everyone knows what they need to do and you, you let them do what they need to do. So yeah. loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you,
1: the work you do, the wonderful book and everything else? Thank you, Michael. Yeah. So the easiest place to go first is the book's website, which is www crackingtheleadershipcode.com. If you go there, that'll take you right to the book page. You can learn about it. You can actually download the first chapter for free. You can also order it on all your major booksellers. That takes you right to, that'll link you right to my AlanHunkins.com website. So you can learn more about the work that I do, working with individuals, teams, and organizations to help people to become better leaders. You can learn I'm offering some public programs now throughout the year. I offer this 30-day leadership challenge where people can actually practice the embedding of habits of being a better connector, communicator, and collaborator. So check it all out and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as well. That is my social platform of choice. I'll definitely have the in the show notes. And definitely that
0: 30-day, that I think, is a great idea for a lot of leaders uh, either to for a refresher for some of them or for, to strengthen, um, you know, their leadership work. And as with any habit, you, you get into the habit, pardon the pun there of, of doing these things. And, uh, the results are amazing. So thank you again so much for the work that you do. I really appreciate uh, our time today and,
1: and thank you again for being on the show. Michael, thank you. It's really been my pleasure. Thanks for having me.